Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning. Welcome in. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie Kramer on the other side of the glass. We've got a fun show lined up for you today. And it is the official start of Chiefs training camp today. There is a real live practice taking place in St. Joe this afternoon. It starts at 3.30. You're going to want to get out there at 3.15 because let's be honest. You want to meet myself. You want to meet Carrington Harrison. You want to meet Sean Levine. You want to meet Ron the Show Hughley. You want to meet the morning show. So get out there around 3.15. We are doing a tweet up right around the practice fields. Look for all the dudes that are all wearing the blue polos. That's going to be us wearing the 610 Sports Radio polos. So get out there around 3.15. Come say hello. We'd be happy to talk a little Chiefs with you guys out there today. We will certainly be out there. I know a lot of you guys will be as well. So it is a big Chiefs show today. I have Frank Schwab of Yahoo Sports. He's going to be joining us coming up at 1030. He did his Chiefs preview earlier this week for Yahoo. So I'm going to ask him what he anticipates from the Chiefs and the AFC West. That's coming up at 1030. At 1130, my guy Pete Sweeney of Arrowhead Pride is going to join us to talk a little Chiefs. And he's actually been out at camp the last three days to watch the rookies, the quarterbacks, and the injured dudes, including Travis Kelsey. So we'll talk with him about what he's seen thus far at camp coming up at 1130. Hearing from you guys throughout the show, the Protein House Eat With a Purpose text line is 69306. You can hit me up on Twitter as well. I am at BK Sports Talk. So the news of the day yesterday, of course, was Ian Rappaport saying that the Chiefs and Chris Jones is going to be at camp this year. Then there's a situation about Chris Jones, the star defensive lineman, disruptive pass rushing defensive lineman for the Kansas City Chiefs. I just got off the phone with his agents, the Cats brothers, a couple minutes ago. He has not yet reported to the Chiefs facility, but he is on his way. There's a team meeting at 2 p.m. local time, uh, and he is, in fact, they tell me, expected to be there. They've negotiated on and off since March. It's a guy the Chiefs want to pay. They just were not going to talk deal until he showed up. And now he's going to show up. This was always the situation that made the most sense. And it got, it made even more sense after we saw what Craig Stout of Arrowhead Pride had to say earlier this week on Twitter. Basically, to sum it up for you, Chris Jones had to be at camp by August 6th. He had to be there. If he's not there by August 6th, he can't become a free agent next year, which goes besides the entire point of what he's trying to prove here. Chris Jones wants to hit free agency or he wants to get paid right now. If he doesn't get there by August 6th, he gets neither of the two. So it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for Chris Jones to not be at Chiefs training camp by August 6th. Now, the second portion of this is the fines. If Chris Jones was not there on day one, he could have been fined each and every day that he was not at Chiefs training camp. To the point of, once it got to August 6th, when he has to report no matter what, he would have given the Chiefs $800,000 of his nearly $1.2 million salary this year. This is called hustling backwards. If you're going to do this, 
you might as well just go ahead and hand the Chiefs all of the money that you're trying to get yourself. It doesn't make any sense. And so when he reported yesterday, it was the smart thing to do. It was the obvious thing to do. It was the news we all should have anticipated was coming. But because of the way that this saga has gone down over the last three months and the surprising nature of all of it, I think some of us were still a little bit surprised. And so that's why when I when I saw yesterday Chris Jones is reporting to camp and you see the news from me in Rappaport, even though it made all the sense in the world, even though it was the obvious move to get done, even though it would have made no sense whatsoever for Chris Jones to hold out, I still was a little bit surprised deep down. I don't know why. It, it was the obvious thing, like I said. But for some reason, in my heart of hearts, I wasn't sure if Chris Jones was going to be there or not. It certainly seemed like at least there was the threat of Chris Jones not coming to Chiefs training camp. And then I saw this from Jeffrey Chidea of NFL.com. Quote, Chiefs team source says there's a big gap between the team and Chris Jones on a new deal. The team wants something closer to the four-year, $68 million deal that the Falcons gave Grady Jarrett. Jones wants to be closer to the deal that Frank Clark just got, which was five years and $104 million. If you're curious about the guarantees, because those are ultimately what matter, it was $42 million guaranteed for Grady Jarrett with the Falcons. It was $63 million guaranteed for Frank Clark here in Kansas City. I say all of that to say this. Chris Jones is at camp. Chris Jones is going to be a chief this year. And after that, I don't know where this goes. I honestly don't. All offseason, I anticipated that the Chiefs would get something done with Chris Jones. But it is now July 27th. The Chiefs are officially at training camp later on this afternoon. They'll take the field in St. Joe at 3.30. Chris Jones will be among those players, and he will, be, he will do so without a long-term deal. That is surprising. If you had told me at the end of last season, January, February, what do you anticipate? Who There was one player for the Chiefs. They got a $100 million contract this offseason. Who do you think it would have been? I'd say, oh, then they paid Chris Jones. They ended up folding. They gave him what he wanted, and they gave Chris Jones all of the money. That would have been my anticipation. Obviously, that money ended up going to Frank Clark. So, Therese Paler came on the drive yesterday. Here's what he had to say about the situation. I don't know if a contract is going to get worked out. Um, I think they can talk about it. I can tell you what I think. You know, here's what I know. I can tell you some, uh, in general, I think that the Chris Jones situation is born a little bit out of what they did with Frank Clark. They brought in Frank Clark, they paid him a whole lot of money, and then Chris Jones looks at it and says, okay, the last two years, me and Frank Clark have about the same number of sacks. By the way, he's been an edge rusher the whole time I've been kind of inside. So what does that make me? Um, so if you're Chris Jones, like you should want to stop that contract. And I think, you know, one way or another, he's going to try to do that. This is one of those situations. It's a rare situation, actually, where I legitimately understand both sides. I can honest to God see both sides. I understand why if I'm Chris Jones and I had 15 and a half sacks last year as an interior rusher, the year before that, I had six and a half sacks. I had 22 sacks over the last two years. I haven't looked this up, but I would imagine among interior rushers, that ranks at the very least among the top three. If I'm Chris Jones, I want to get paid. And when I see the fact that I have 15 and a half sacks, I would look at edge rushers like Frank Clark, who just got paid $100 million by the Chiefs. I would look at 
to Marcus Lawrence, who just got paid $100 million by the Dallas Cowboys. I would be looking at what's happening right now down in Houston with Jadeveon Clowney. That guy's going to get paid. It might not be in Houston, but he's going to get paid elsewhere. Yannick Ngakwe, a young defensive end for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's going to get $100 million from somebody. And so if I'm Chris Jones, I want the $100 million that I believe should be coming my way. Now, from the Chiefs' perspective, Chris Jones, we love you. You had 15 and a half sacks last year. It was the first time you had elite production. It was the first time. Year two, he had six and a half sacks. Year one, he had two sacks. This is not a guy that the first two years of his NFL career, any of us said, this guy's going to get $100 million. It just wasn't the case. Chris Jones is a really good football player. I'm glad he's back on the football team. I think last year he was a legitimately elite football player in the NFL. But it was one year of production. It was one year of elite production. When you see most of these guys that are getting the money right now, Frank Clark, he hasn't had necessarily elite production, but he's been on the cusp of it for like four years. Demarcus Lawrence, he's been on the cusp of elite production for three years. Jadeveon Clowney, the same thing. Yannick Ngakwe, same thing. All of these guys had to do it for multiple years. Chris Jones would be the outlier from that perspective. And so if I'm the Chiefs, I have a firm stance of I'm not giving you $100 million. Not now. If you are able to back that season up by doing it again, we'll give you all the money. All the money. And we'd be happy to do so. But there's no reason for us to pay you $100 million because, and this is, I think, a really important point that's gotten lost by some people. Let's say Chris Jones has another unbelievable season. Let's say it's 12 sacks, which would be incredible from the interior. Does it really change his price tag? Does it really change his price tag? Because he's not going to get Aaron Donald money. So if we're talking about the difference between him getting $100 million and $112 million, who cares? Over the course of six years, you're buying one more year of a cheap year of proving it from Chris Jones. And the downside is I lose a couple million dollars? If I'm the Chiefs, what is the upside to me giving him the contract he wants now? That's ultimately what this comes down to. Aaron Donald got six years, $135 million. If Chris Jones thinks he's going to get Aaron Donald money, more power to him, I don't foresee that. The next on the list is Demarcus Lawrence and Frank Clark, who both got $105 million. I just don't know what the downside is for the Chiefs if they don't re-sign him now. I think the contract he's going to be looking for at the end of this year, let's say he gets 10 to 12 sacks, at the end of this year, is going to be the same contracts that he's looking for now. And so from the Chiefs' perspective, I totally understand the idea that we're not paying you that now. If you're able to back it up, we'll give you the money. But as of right now, we are not giving you that money. I completely understand that perspective. I will say this. At the beginning of the offseason, I thought that the Chiefs had a core of three players. It was Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and, and uh, Chris Jones. I thought those were the three guys that I would have bet on five years from now, they were going to be here. I don't know that I would make that bet anymore. I think there's only three players still that the Chiefs, I would bet on being five years from now. Patrick Mahomes is still on that list. I still think Tyreek Hill is going to be here five years from now. And I think Frank Clark is going to be here five years from now. Those are your new cornerstones. Those are your new franchise pillars. 
Chris Jones might join that list with a really big year this year if the Chiefs are willing to pay him. I thought that was a guarantee at the beginning of the year. Now I'm just not so sure. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kiley. We've got Kramer on the other side of the glass. The Protein House Eat with a Purpose text line is 69306. You can always hit me up on Twitter as well. I am at BK Sports Talk. All right, last week I bought into the offense. This week I'm starting to believe, and I think others are as well, that this offense won't just be good. It might be able to repeat what it did last year. We'll discuss it next. It is a leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. We got Kramer on the other side of the glass. The Protein LZ with a purpose X line is 69306. Coming up here in just about 10 minutes, we will catch up with Frank Schwab of Yahoo Sports. He's going to tell us what he anticipates from the Chiefs in 2019 as the team opens camp. Coming up at 3.30, coming up at 3.15, we will meet you out at Chiefs camp. We've got a tweet up. Meet all of the guys from 610 Sports Radio. That's coming up at 3.15. Look for the guys in the blue polos. That will be us. Be hanging out, talking a little Chiefs before Chiefs training camp. I do want to pass along a little bit of news. So, you know the the Balboni curse, right, Kramer? The Balboni curse for, for the Red Sox that they ultimately broke whenever they won the World Series, right? Yes. So, there was the Balboni curse for the Red Sox. I believe there's going to be a new curse. And based on the news this morning, I think it's going to continue. There's going to be a new Beckham curse. It is the Odell Beckham Jr. curse for the Giants because they traded one of the best receivers in the history of the league at a very young age while he's in his prime. Earlier this week, Sterling Shepard, one of their receivers that they just paid $40 million to, broke his thumb. They then had wide receiver Corey Coleman tear an ACL. Well, earlier this morning, there was news reported that Golden Tate, another receiver, that they just signed this offseason is going to be suspended for the first four games of the year due to a PED failed test. That's not good. Who is catching the football from Eli Manning? Like, if you're playing fantasy football next year, I highly recommend two things. Number one, all the, all the tight ends outside of the top three really stink. Draft Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram is going to get all of the targets from this Giants team that don't go to Saquon Barkley. Number two... Draft Saquon Barkley. I'm I'm breaking some news right now. He's really good at football. And oh, by the way, nobody else on this team is good at football. So Evan Ingram all of a sudden became a nice little value for you in fantasy football. Everybody is going down. Every pass catcher that the Giants could possibly have on this offense seems to be going down. By the way, it was the Bamboni curse. I apologize. I'm an idiot. Uh, Balboni was for the Royals. Bambino or Bamboni was for the Red Sox. My apologies. It, we will get that correct. It took me a little bit, but I, I can knew, understand. I knew what you were talking I saw, about. I, I like, saw based on your face, okay, something's not right here. I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> we ultimately got there. You're all good. All right, so let's talk Chiefs. I'm not going to mess that one up. I promise you that. Well, I might, but it won't be for the same reasons. So a lot of people this offseason have talked about how the Chiefs are going to regress offensively. How Patrick Mahomes can't possibly be the same guy that he was last year. It would be impossible. They're not wrong. Based on history, the only quarterback in the history of the league that threw 45 or more touchdown passes one year and the following year threw at least 40. So just regressed a little bit. Like went from 45 or more to 40 or more. The only guy that's ever done it is Drew Brees. He did it once. There have been six other dudes that have thrown the 45. 
none of them threw the 40 the next year. So history would tell you that regression is coming for Patrick Mahomes, and it's in a matter it's a matter of how much regression as opposed to if it will come. I'm starting to wonder if that's the case, though. Mike Freeman of Bleacher Report wrote this earlier this week. Quote, while no one can say for certain if Mecole Hardman was an insurance policy for Tyreek Hill, you'd be a fool to think otherwise. One scout we spoke to compared him to Deshaun Jackson, and some teams viewed the pick as one of the best in the draft. Now Tyreek Hill is back. Hardman is around to bolster a roster already deep at the skill positions, and a team with maybe the most athletic offense in football is even more dangerous. Kansas City's attack has the potential to be so explosive that some teams' personnel men told Bleacher Report that they believe the single-season scoring record of 606 points set by the Peyton Manning-led Broncos in 2013 could fall, end quote. There are always outliers in sports. There are outliers in, in life. There are people that can do things that shouldn't be able to be done. The math would tell you, the numbers would tell you, the history would tell you that the Chiefs, Offense cannot possibly be better this year. It cannot possibly replicate what they did a year ago. And yet, for some reason, I'm starting to think that they might not be far off of that. I looked up what the top 10 scoring offenses um, in NFL history have done. And then I basically said, all right, some of these are from like 1985. So there's not a whole lot of translation from what they did then to what they're doing now. So of the top 10 scoring offenses that did it since 2000, so in modern NFL history, there were eight of them. So eight of the top 10 have taken place since 2000. One of those is the Chiefs last year, so you're down to seven, basically, that matter for this. Seven that have any history. Most of them had something crazy happen the next year. Like the, Bron- the uh, Patriots in 2008, Tom Brady tore his ACL. The Saints back in 2012, that was the Bounty Gate year. There are only three teams that I think you can actually use as legitimate comparison points for this Chiefs team. It's the 2013 Broncos, it's the 2012 Patriots, and the greatest show on turf Rams back in 2000. Let's look at those specifically so we can kind of get a grasp on what the Chiefs could be compared to those guys. So the 2000, 2000 Rams. 34 points per game, 5,500 yards, 37 touchdowns. That was the greatest show on turf. The next year, 4,800 yards and 36 touchdowns by Kurt Warner. They, by the way, scored 31 points per game, and they were the best offense in the NFL. That's the kind of repeating that I think the Chiefs can do. You go down a little bit, Kurt Warner went from 5,500 to 4,800. He went from 37 touchdowns to 36 touchdowns. They went from 34 points per game to 31 points per game. But they were still great. They were still the best offense in the league. The 2012 Patriots, 35 points per game. Brady had an unbelievable year. 4,800 yards and 34 touchdowns. The next year, 28 points per game. They were third in the NFL. Brady had 4,300 yards and 25 touchdowns. But Gronk only played six games that year. Wes Welker was gone. Their receiving core was depleted from what it had been in 2012. 2013 Broncos might be a good comparison point. 38 points per game. This is the best scoring offense in the history of the NFL. Manning, 5,500 points, 55 touchdowns. Unbelievable season. Better than even what we saw last year from Patrick Mahomes, which seems impossible. The following year, they followed it up. 30 points a game. Manning at 4,700 yards and 39 touchdowns. The entire offensive coaching staff came back. The 2013 Broncos, 
and the 2,000 Rams are the comparison points for if you think the Chiefs offense can run it back and be the best offense in the league again. Those are the comparison points. And I'm starting to buy into it. The receiving options, you can make an argument, are actually better this year than they were a year ago. The running game's not going to take a step back because the running game is Andy Reid. The quarterback is going to be better than he was last year. That doesn't mean the numbers will absolutely get better, but the quarterback is going to be better. Patrick Mahomes will be better in year two as a starter than he was in year one. The entire coaching staff is coming back for this Kansas City Chiefs team. I have very little reason to believe that the Chiefs are going to take a significant step back offensively. Now, injuries could always change that. Injuries changed it for the Patriots in 2013. Ultimately, Rob Gronkowski went down. He only played six games that year. The offense looks different. If Travis Kelsey only plays six games this year, we can all agree that the offense is going to be significantly different than it was a year ago, significantly different than any of us are anticipating for 2019. But barring injury, given the fact that Tyreek Hill is going to play 16 games, given the fact that now Mecole Hardman is going to be in either a number three or four receiver role, we'll talk about that later on today, Given the fact that Andy Reid and his entire offensive staff are coming back to this team, the offensive line is still intact, I just have a hard time believing that the Chiefs are going to take a significant step back offensively this year. I think people have just, they believe in the idea that because it hasn't been done consistently in the past, it can't be done in the future. I think this Chiefs team, this Chiefs quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, I think they're outliers. And I think we're going to see it on the field starting today, coming up at 3.30. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie Kramer is on the other side of the glass. The Protein House Eat With a Purpose text line is 69306. You were all rightfully crushing me for my mistake at the beginning of this segment. My apologies for that. Coming up next, it is no mistake, Frank Schwab of Yahoo Sports is going to join the show. He will tell us why he thinks that the Chiefs can still win the Super Bowl even though he's not expecting a massive improvement from the defense. We'll talk to Frank Schwab about that coming up next. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kiley. Kramer on the other side of the glass. We'll catch up with Frank Schwab of Yahoo Sports coming up here in just a moment. So to put a bow on the last segment, somebody on the text line, the protein I'll see with the purpose text line 69306 says the Falcons from a few years ago are a similar comparison for the Chiefs from last year as well. There are some similarities, no doubt about it. The difference and the reason why I didn't use them is because they had a new offensive coordinator the next year. Kyle Shanahan was the guy that made all of that work. The difference and the reason why I think the 2019 Chiefs are so unique is because given the climate of the current NFL, given how teams are now playing in the league and what they value whenever they hire their new coach, Eric Bieniemy should not be back this year. Like, the Cardinals just hired Cliff Kingsbury from Texas Tech because they believed he can fix their offense. No other reason. He got fired from Texas Tech and got hired as an NFL head coach because they think he can fix the offense. Now imagine that that happens in the same league where one of the three best offenses in the history of the NFL just took place. That was the Chiefs, and their offensive coordinator is back the next year. 
That's bonkers. That is insane. So if that is the case, you now have the entire coaching staff back. You've got your quarterback's coach, your offensive coordinator, Andy Reid, who's calling the plays and is the guy that is captaining the ship. You've got all those guys back, along with the rocket ship quarterback who's 23 years old. Offensive line that has two solid tackles, one of which is really good, potentially the best right tackle in all of football. You've got an interior offensive line. That is fine and is not going to be an issue. And you add to all of that the fact that the offensive weapons that you had a year ago, you can make a strong argument that you've actually gotten better at those positions. When you put all of that together, it's just hard for me to compare it to most of these teams. The 07 Patriots, Brady, first week of the next year, he ends up going down, tears his ACL. The 2011 Packers, that was one of Aaron Rodgers' best years of his career. 4,600 yards, 46 touchdowns. The next year, Jennings and Jordy Nelson both got hurt, and they had a new offensive coordinator. The 2011 Saints, one of the best offenses in NFL history. Bounty gate year the following year. The 2016 Falcons, which somebody just brought up, new offensive coordinator the following year. There's just not a great comparison point outside of the 2013 Broncos, but they had an older quarterback the following year. The 2000 and, or the 2000 Rams. And that was when they had Kurt Warner as their, their quarterback. Those are really the only two comparison points that I could find that made sense because the quarterback came back, the offensive coordinator was back the following year, and they had most of their offensive skill players intact. Those are the only ones. It's the greatest show on turf, and it's the 2013 Broncos. So it's the best scoring offense in the NFL, in, in the history of the NFL, and the offense that most of us would agree is probably the best that we've seen in the last 20 years. It's either the 2000 Rams for me or the 2007 Pats. Those are the two, those are the two teams that I think can at least qualify for that. I just, I don't know how you can look at what this offense is look at the talent that they have, and then immediately say to yourself, oh, but they're going to regress. In fact, I was listening to a podcast earlier this week. It was the the Ringer NFL show. And Robert Mays talked a little bit about this. I want you to hear this because it's really interesting. Robert Mays basically says what I've been saying, but from a national perspective. Listen to this. I think I'm sleeping on Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs a little bit. (laughs) Mm. Like, it's one of those things where so much... So many times we've seen just the touchdown regression thing happen, and it just kind of burned into our minds that when you have this historical season, you're likely not going to follow it up with anything overwhelming. Maybe the Chiefs are just that good. Maybe their offense is so dynamic that they're still going to be just far and away the best offense in the league, and that's going to carry them to the postseason and maybe heights it didn't even last year. I think that's possible. It's not mathematically likely. And so maybe the overall enthusiasm on it is a little bit dampened, but I definitely feel like I'm not thinking about them, talking about them as much as I should be right now. I think that's the, the way a lot of people feel. This comes from the 573, the protein I see with a purpose text line 69306. I, I agree with you, BK, but I just think the defense is quite a bit better. We're not going to have to score as many points, therefore not, uh, the, we're not going to have to score as many points as a result. So I think that's really interesting because I looked this up the other day. And the 2013 Broncos are the team right now that is the highest scoring team in the history of football. Where would you guys guess? Kramer, where would you guess that the 2013 Broncos, who are the highest scoring team in the history of football, 
Where do you think that they ultimately ranked at the end of the year when it came to scoring defense? For scoring defense? Uh, the highest scoring team in the history of football. So you would imagine defense pretty bad. I would say about 15th, maybe 16th. So the highest, you went the wrong way on this, my oh, man. No. <laughs> it's all good. Um, the highest scoring offense in the history of football, their defense was 22nd in the league. If I told you that the defense for the Chiefs next year is the 22nd best in the league in, in points and 19th in yards, I think we'd all sign up for that today. We'd all be like, yeah, that's a, a 10 spot improvement, basically. Yeah, I agree. Like they got significantly better. And yet the best offense in the history of the NFL, that's where they were was 22nd defensively in points allowed and 19th in yards allowed per game. So for as much as we talk about how if the defense gets better, the offense isn't going to have to score as many points, that's not necessarily the case. If the offense is just that good, like sometimes the offense just scores a bunch of points. You guys remember against the, the Steelers last year where it was like all of a sudden this looks like a rocket ship offense. Like I've never seen anything like this. What is happening They've got 21 points in the first, like, eight minutes of the game. Like, how does this happen? This is impossible. This is not the Chiefs offense that I've, know, that, that I've come to know and, and appreciate and loathe sometimes. That's the difference between a historic offense and a good offense. A historic offense can put up 21 points like that. Just all of a sudden, they've got 21 points on the board. They didn't even try to do it. It just happened all of a sudden. And when you've got a team like this Chiefs team, where you've got explosive players all over the place. You remember the Chargers game. Week one, first drive of the game. Boom, Mahomes to Tyreek Hill on that quick slant right across the middle, and he's gone. Those are the kinds of things that when you have this kind of an explosive offense, like Mecole Hardman's going to have a play like that at some point this year. Travis Kelsey's going to have plays like that at some point this year. Tyreek Hill's going to have a number of plays like that over the course of this year. Those explosive plays are what change everything for the Chiefs. That's what makes this offense different than other across the league. This comes from the 913 of the Protein SE with the purpose text line is 69306. But BK, look at the schedule. It's tougher this year. They're going to have to play against better defenses, and that's going to make it harder for the Chiefs to ultimately be such a good offense. I don't disagree. If you're trying to come up with an argument as to why the Chiefs will not be the highest scoring offense in the league this year, the schedule is probably the best one. It's not the regression argument. It's not the it's year two people have a film on Patrick Mahomes. I don't buy into that. It's the fact that they start on the road against the Jacksonville Jaguars defense. They've got Baltimore at home. They've got Houston. They've got at Denver, which is going to be a really good defense. They've got Minnesota on the schedule. They've got twice against the Chargers. They've got at the Patriots. They've got at the uh, Chicago Bears. The defense is on the schedule, and if you look at some of the more advanced numbers, they would tell you this is the most difficult schedule in the NFL for any quarterback or receiver. The defense is on the schedule is the number one reason to be pessimistic. It is the number one reason with a bullet. There's no question about it. It just didn't matter last year. The Chiefs would play good defenses, and it didn't matter. They scored 31 points in the second half against the New England Patriots in the AFC Championship game. With their backs against the wall, had to have it, 31 points on the board in the second half. On the road against the Chargers, 38 points. On the road against Denver, 27 points. Play against Jacksonville, 30. At, on the road at New England, 40 points. 
Another game against Denver, 30 points. Go to L.A., play against the Rams. Good defense, 51 points. It didn't matter. Didn't matter what defense they were playing. They were putting up points on the board. So as much as I am I am a little worried about the defenses that are on the schedule in terms of like becoming the highest scoring offense in the history of football, it just didn't matter last year. It just didn't matter. And that's what the difference is between having Alex Smith as your quarterback and having Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback. In the past, going against those defenses has mattered greatly. The Chiefs end up with 17, 21 points on the board, and you lose that game 24-21. Now, you have Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback, and you might lose the game 37-34, to but your offense is putting up 34 just because he's the guy with the ball. The one thing that I would be really interested in seeing this year, and I'm going to be fascinated to see early in the year, especially against the Jaguars and against uh, the Baltimore Ravens, one thing we saw late in the season, especially against Baltimore, L.A., and against to an extent against Seattle, some of those teams just took the air out of the football. They're like, we're going to give you eight possessions over the course of the game. You have to score a touchdown on four of them to be able to get 28 points. Good luck. Because most games, the Chiefs were at around 10 possessions. If you score on half of them, well, now you're getting into that 35-38 point range. When you're only playing eight possessions, and Baltimore was able to do this really well just because their, their offensive tack was so slow and they ran the ball so often that the clock continued to run, if you're able to do that, that's the way to keep the points off the board against the Chiefs. I just don't know how many teams are going to be willing or able to continue to go with that into the second half against this Chiefs team. It's going to be a really hard thing to do. We'll try to connect with Frank Schwab of Yahoo Sports. Not sure what happened. Disconnected there. It is what it is. Sometimes it happens with live radio. Coming up next, there's only one position battle I'm legitimately interested in for the Chiefs next year. And no, it's not tied in two. We'll discuss it next. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kylie, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Kramer on the other side of the glass. Coming up at 1130, my guy Pete Sweeney of Arrowhead Pride is going to join the show. He was out at Chiefs camp all week watching the rookies the injured players, including Travis Kelsey and the quarterback. So we will ask him what he saw over the first few days of camp and what he anticipates seeing over the course of the next few weeks. He's coming up at 1130, coming up here in just about 15 minutes. What history can tell us about the Chiefs quest to take the next step. That's coming up in about 15 minutes. But right now, I'm only interested in one position battle at Chiefs camp. There's only one. I've tried to get interested in others. I can't do it. I can't do it. I love football. Kramer, I am a football fanatic. I'm a nut when it comes to football. I get into the draft. I get into the nitty-gritty of fantasy football. Like, I love football. I think you're on the same perspective from this, right? Yes. What is interesting about this Chiefs camp? Like, I'm being serious when it when – it, let me specify. Let me clarify. What is interesting when it comes to a camp position battle for you? Is there anything? Because I tried looking over the roster the other day, and I was like, listen, man – I'm just having a tough time getting interested in the backup left guard spot. I can't do it. I can't do it this year because the offense is so good. I can't bring myself to care about the backup left guard. Honestly, I don't know. If it's for the Chiefs, I'm, who's going to be their uh, kick returner? That's for me. I want somebody. Michael Hardman. I would there hope. we go. <laughs> if not Michael Hardman, then we got something better. We've we got some other issues. All right. So speaking of Michael Hardman, he's the only guy I'm interested in. 
legitimately the only guy, the only position battle I'm interested in watching when I go up to St. Joe later on today. And again, if you guys haven't heard yet, we will be meeting with our tweet with our listeners. A tweet up coming up at 3:15. We'll see you guys out at Mo West. If you guys are looking for us, we will be the ones right by the practice field wearing our blue polos. So when I go up there later on today, the only position battle I'm interested in is wider wide receiver three. It's going to be a battle between Nicole Hardman and Demarcus Robinson. And one of those two is going to be relevant this year. The other one is not going to have a significant role on the offense this year. Now that could change. Like if Sammy Watkins gets hurt in week four, he's out for the next seven weeks. Okay. Well then now whoever becomes the next wide receiver three becomes relevant again. But and this Chiefs offense, if you're wide receiver four, if you're the fourth guy, you're not relevant. I looked up last year. Sammy Watkins was healthy for eight of the first nine games. In those eight games, Chris Conley was the clear-cut number three receiver. He played an average of 39 snaps per game. In those games, he had 10 receptions for 115 yards, two touchdowns. Now, you'd like to see more production, but he was playing 60% of the snaps. He was legitimately a starter for the offense, basically. In those same eight games, the same eight games that Sammy Watkins was healthy for, when Chris Conley was playing 39 snaps a game, Demarcus Robinson was consistently the fourth wide receiver. He played an average of 11 snaps per game. Over the course of those eight weeks, he had five receptions for 20 yards and a touchdown. You are not going to be relevant if you are the number four receiver in this offense. There are just too many targets that are going to Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Sammy Watkins and Damian Williams and potentially Carlos Hyde and whoever wins the number three receiver role. You're the number seven option on the team. When you're the number seven option, you become what Demarcus Robinson was last year when Sammy Watkins was healthy and you play 11 snaps a game and get maybe one target a game. That's what Meikle Hardman could be this year if he doesn't win this job. And so when I'm going out to Chiefs camp, I'm interested in this because their second-round pick that they traded up for, I hope he's relevant this year. I think he has a ton of potential. I don't know what he ultimately looks like in the NFL just because in college, they barely used him. But he also played at Georgia where nobody gets utilized. Like, all their receivers are underutilized at Georgia because they're so incredibly run-heavy. So I just don't know what Michael Hardman is right now in his career. He was a cornerback three years ago. He played basically two years of playing receiver and organized college football. So I don't know where he is. I don't know if he's going to be prepared. I don't know if he's going to be ready. I don't know if he is at the level of where Demarcus Robinson is right, right now. I hope he is. I just don't know. And so when I go to Chiefs camp later on today, I want to see what the, what the battle looks like. I want to see where they start. What is the starting point of Demarcus Robinson versus Meikle Hardman? Where's Meikle Hardman on the depth chart compared to where Demarcus Robinson is? I would anticipate today Demarcus Robinson's going to be ahead of him. I think he's going to start camp with the foot forward. I think he's going to be the starter now. By the end of camp, I hope Meikle Hardman overtakes him. That's what, that's what I'm rooting for. Because as someone who's interested in seeing him become the better player, who's interested in seeing this offense take the next step, I think Hardman's the way that it does. I think we know what Demarcus Robinson is at this point in his career. And it's fine. It's okay. I think if he's your number four receiver, it means you've got a really good receiving core. If he's your number three, it means you've got a little bit of depth, but not as much as you'd probably like. 
The one place that I can't bring myself to care about is tied into. If I hear one more person say the Chiefs' biggest offensive question is tied into, I'm going to lose it. Now, listen, there are really smart people who will tell you that this is an issue. In fact, Therese Paler told me last week, I asked on Twitter, with Tyreek Hill situation resolved, what is now the biggest question facing the Chiefs' offense going into training camp? Therese Paler said, backup tight end, a million percent. Okay, so here's the thing. The backup tight end doesn't matter, and here's why. If Travis Kelsey goes down, your new tight end's not going to be good. He's not going to be able to replace Travis Kelsey because nobody can replace Travis Kelsey. If your backup tight end goes down, the entire offense changes. That's what happens. If your backup tight end goes down, what I was just talking about, about how your number four receiver doesn't matter in this offense, he does. Now you're going to put another receiver on the field as opposed to a tight end. That's what happens. You're going to change the way that the offense looks. It's like, I'm trying to think of a good comparison, but like, if you're eating Lucky Charms and all of a sudden you don't have any marshmallows in there anymore, you don't want the Lucky Charms. It becomes a different cereal. You're basically eating Cheerios at that point. That's what the Chiefs offense is. If you're looking at the Chiefs offense and it doesn't have Travis Kelsey, it's no longer the same Chiefs offense. I don't care about the backup tight end because he's not Travis Kelsey. He's never going to be Travis Kelsey. He has never been Travis Kelsey. I looked this up the other day. Everybody's worried about the fact that you lost Demetrius Harris, apparently. He averaged like 12 catches a year. Demetrius Harris wasn't very good. We all complained about Demetrius Harris when he was here. So why am I going to worry about the fact that Blake Bell is the number two tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs? I can't. I can't do it. I understand if you're somebody who was legitimately worried about this. That's perfectly fine. I get it. I can't bring myself to get to that point. Because if Travis Kelsey goes down, the Chiefs have bigger issues than who their number two tight end is. Going out to the Protein LC with a purpose text line 69306. We got this one from the 816 saying corner is the position battle he's most interested in. I'm not. I got to be honest because I think there's a very clear top three. Now, if somebody gets added into the mix, it becomes interesting to me. But right now, the starters are going to be Bashad Breland, Kendall Fuller, and Charvarius Ward. Those are going to be your top three. Now, maybe you're interested in seeing who the number two guy is versus number three. But with the way teams play now, like 70% of the time, all three of those guys are going to be on the field. I would anticipate that probably your top two is going to be Kendall Fuller and Bashad Breland with Charvarius Ward being number three. But I'm not sure how much it matters which way that goes. But those are going to be your top three in some order. In some order, it's going to be Kendall Fuller, number one, and then Bashad Breland and Charvarius Ward as the two, three. If you're interested in that camp battle, that's fine. I, I understand that. But the only one that I'm, I found myself interested in is wide receiver three. It's the only one. Linebacker, there's really nothing that's all that interesting. Defensive line, we kind of know who's going to start. We know what the rotation's going to be right there. One thing that I will be interested in seeing, actually, when I go up there later today, and when hopefully the rest of you guys are going out there as well, I'm legitimately interested to see if they play Frank uh, or uh, Chris Jones at defensive end at all. That That is something that I'm interested in. If you're on social media and you've seen pictures of Chris Jones this offseason, he's lost weight. He looks... He looks terrifying, frankly. Like he, he looks like he could play defensive end today. He looks like OCU Manura, 
when OCU Manura played for the Giants under Steve Spagnola. That's, that's a good comparison right there. That's what he looks like. And so it almost makes me wonder, okay, are they anticipating that he's going to play defensive end a little bit more often? Like on running downs, are they going to put Chris Jones out at defensive end, right? You put Chris, Chris Jones out there, you bring in Derek Nottie, you bring in Xavier Williams, now you've got a bunch of big bodies up front. I could see that happening. And then on passing downs, you bring him back inside, you bring in all of your best pass rushers, and that's the way that you go about it. And it's just more of a rotation than we've seen in the past. I'm going to be really interested to see that. That is one thing that I'm interested in on the, on the defense side of the ball. And then I just want to see how long it takes for Juan Thornhill to become a starter. I think it'll be right away. But that could be something that we we have to watch for. If he's not a starter later on today, that'll be a camp battle that I'm interested in. But if he doesn't win it, I'd, I'd be stunned. I'd be absolutely stunned if your starting safety opposite of Tyron Matthew is not Juan Thornhill. I think that'd be a problem, actually. If he's not your starting safety, the Chiefs have issues. Like, I I don't want to see this year one of the guys that started for them last year start for them again. They need two new safeties. That that is one of that was one of the biggest issues with the defense a year ago. It cannot be replicated again this year. Coming up here in just about 30 minutes, Pete Sweeney of Arrowhead Pride is going to join us. We will talk a lot of camp battles with him. I will ask him for his impression of Mecole Hardman and if he thinks that he is able or capable of becoming the number three receiver for this team. Coming up next. History tells us a little something about what the Chiefs are trying to do in taking the next step. It's not great history. We'll discuss it next and why. Again, I think the Chiefs can be the outlier coming up. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.